was beautiful from the congregation there. That was all 10 of you. That was just a special moment. It is so good to be gathered here with a few of us and to have you guys online. No one saw lockdown coming. Well, actually, Brendan did. He told me about a month ago. But for the rest of us, no one saw it coming. And this is one of those times where your kids on the video screen think I'm famous. I just want to let them know I am not. You just happen to be watching this online. And I already feel wonderfully ministered to, as I'm sure you do, and by the worship this morning and by what we've just done, what we've just sang about. In some ways, we've just sang this message in so many ways. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 4. For those of you that are new to Sovereign Grace and joining us maybe for the first time, we are presently in a series on the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel has been written by Dr. Luke. He's compiling a narrative on all the things about Jesus, and he's writing it so Theophilus and indeed us can be certain on the things that we have been taught. Just last week, we looked then how Jesus was so sadly and grievously rejected by his own town of Nazareth. And this week, we're going to continue with the story. Luke chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 31 through to the end of verse 44. This is the word of the Lord. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the demon had thrown him down in their midst. He came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out of him. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, we do come to you this morning dependent. Lord, I thank you that you are indeed, as we've just sang, you are indeed our hideaway. Lord, I thank you that we can hide ourselves in you. In you we can find hope and faith and favor and joy for the road ahead. Lord, did you bless the preaching of your word this morning? How faithful and kind you are. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, there are certain days in your life that you simply never forget, aren't there? 
I remember my wedding day, the 15th of April in the year 2000. It was a special day. It was a day that changed my life. It was a day when my dear Emma walked down in a wonderful white gown towards me. The whole congregation appeared as if black and white in that moment, and all I could see is her. It was a wonderful day. I'll never forget all the things that happened that day, because it was the day that I got to marry my best friend, and in my mind, the most beautiful woman in the world, both inside and out. 27th of May, 2002, another day that I remember well, because it was the day that Josh was born. And as our first son, being wholly new to what is taking place, I remember it vividly. I remember all that took place. I remember actually asking Emma if she wanted to pop out the car and get a parking ticket. That wasn't exactly a, a good moment for a husband, but I was trying to be cool. She said, I want to be cool. That was apparently too cool. So I did that. That was an error. But other things that I remember was just the moment when Josh was born and I got to hold him. And I remember actually just walking around the room with him. He, his head was there and his legs were there. I couldn't do that anymore. It, it would be a problem. Um, but back in the day, I could. And I remember just walking around. And I still actually remember the color of the floor. I still remember the speckled tiles as I was holding him and just enjoying my son. And then also the 5th of September, 2010, Father's Day. It was a special day, not just because it was Father's Day, but it was the day when this local church, Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney, was born. i never forget it. The songs that we sang, the message that I preached, just the moment of all several years of planning and to finally have people in the room worshiping the Lord and launching Sovereign Grace Church Sydney, which prior to that had just been a dream and a plan. Those will all be special days in my life. And I'm sure for all of us, there are special days in all of our lives that we simply would never forget. And this Sabbath day, for all those in Luke chapter 4, that I hear present would have been one of those such days. Everything you hear about in this section happened in one 24-hour period. And what we have here is one unforgettable day when they behold the authority of Jesus. Everything that takes place from the Sabbath in the morning as they gather in the synagogue to being in Simon's house in the afternoon and then later on into the evening, everything takes place on this wonderful Sabbath day. And everything that takes place is all about Jesus revealing to them, and indeed us, his profound and great authority. And this would be a day that would no doubt affect their lives forever. They would be talking about this day for weeks and months, and I believe decades to come. And I believe this word is here because God wants it to affect our lives as well in just the same way. He wants us to talk about this day for weeks and months and decades to come as we behold the authority of Jesus. And we see what all that means for us today. Two points then this morning. Number one, the day itself. I want us to enjoy this story together. And then number two, the day applied. And it does apply. It applies to us wonderfully in numerous ways. And so to close, I'm going to finish up on three just to help us see how we respond to this glorious reality of the authority of Jesus. If you want a title for them this morning's message, I've called it One Unforgettable Day. And let's begin then where Dr. Luke would have us begin with number one, the day itself. You know, it'd be fair to say, I believe, that the people present here on this particular Sabbath day would have been particularly unprepared for what they're about to encounter on this day. Because what they're about to encounter on this day was the authority of Jesus being placarded before their eyes in three different ways. 
And here's the first. Number one, they saw Jesus' authority over the word. That's where this day began. And so let's look together at verse 31. It says, And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Capernaum was a town on the upper northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a prosperous fishing town. It was much larger and much more populated and much more varied in population than Nazareth was because it was much closer to the Decapolis. The ten cities, the ten major cities of the day, it's much closer to that. And so it was a bigger population and more varied in what people did and who indeed they were. And it appears that on this given day, the officer in the, in the synagogue in Capernaum has invited a particular guest, a special guest, to speak to them on this particular Sabbath. None other than Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody in this area by now has heard of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that's been going around and healing people and performing miracles and teaching. And people are affected So you can imagine that this particular synagogue, once again today, is bursting at the seams because they want to hear Jesus of Nazareth. And yet what becomes immediately obvious is they simply haven't heard anyone quite like this before. Look at verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. They were astonished. They were literally amazed by what they were hearing. Because this was so different to what they had heard before. See, week after week, they would very often hear from the scribes. And the scribes specialized in quoting other people. So they would say, oh, my dad said, or the other rabbi, or the rabbi of old said. That would be how they would talk all the time. They were just sharing their opinions and their thoughts. And their opinions and the thoughts of people that had gone before them. But Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke as if he had actually written this himself. And he spoke in such a way that it demanded their attention. He spoke as if he was actually the author of the very words. And the reason why he spoke as if he's actually the author of the very words is because he was. This was God himself speaking from God's word. And he speaks with absolute authority. And they are totally amazed in the way he preaches and what he's saying. William Lane, in his wonderful commentary, says Jesus' words always presented with a sovereign authority which committed neither debate nor theoretical reflection and which always confronted the congregation with the absolute claim of God upon their whole person. And so it did. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with absolute authority and it always had claims then on the congregation that they felt in their lives. They knew in this moment they are being addressed by somebody with absolute authority, very different to what they've heard before. And they were encountering the authority of the Son of God. Imagine the scene. They have literally got Jesus, God himself, preaching his own word to them and demanding their attention. They were astonished and amazed. And yet, I think we can safely say they were completely unprepared for what happens next. Because after Jesus displays his authority over the word before them, number two, he then displays his authority over demons before them. Look with me at verse 33, 34. It says, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cries out with a loud voice. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, imagine the scene. We are all gathered at Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney. We are enjoying each other's company. We are hearing the preached word when all of a sudden, ah! Everybody looks around. I mean, let's be honest. People look around when somebody drink, knocks over a drinks bottle. Imagine what happened if somebody starts manifesting with a possessed holy, possessed spirit in this moment. That's what takes place. A man who is possessed by an evil spirit starts manifesting this evil spirit. And in this moment, this evil spirit cries out and shrieks. The demon is shrieking and crying out because he knows that the presence of Jesus can mean only one thing. Namely, judgment. What have you come to do with us? Why are you here? Have you come to destroy us? This demon knows exactly who Jesus is. And he is aware that his presence can mean only one thing. It can only mean judgment for him and judgment for other demons. And he knows that he is totally powerless to do anything about it. You know, this scene in some ways, as I was thinking about it this week, is filled with ironic sadness in that Nazareth, his hometown... I've just totally rejected him, claiming you're clearly not the son of God, and they want to throw him off a cliff. And yet a demon manifests in a man and says, I know exactly who you are. You're the son of God. It's so sad that his hometown couldn't see it, yet a demon can see it crystal clear. And yet Jesus isn't about to allow a demon, this demon of lies, to actually in this moment tell the truth. He's not going to start a trend. And so he responds to this demon in this moment out of rebuke for the demon and out of care for the man who this demon is possessing. This is what we read in verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. What a beautiful scene. There's no magical technique. There's no theatrical display or dramatic gestures by the Son of God. He simply speaks and things happen. He just has to say a word. Be quiet. Come out. And the demon does exactly that. This man had arrived in this synagogue this morning, possessed and helpless to do anything about it. And yet he leaves the synagogue unpossessed and totally liberated. His life had been radically changed and it had been radically changed by the authority of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, things happen. This demon knew it and Jesus proved it. This is what happens, verse 36 then in their response. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Everybody in the synagogue this morning is utterly amazed. I mean, for a start, they're probably not used to seeing demons manifesting themselves in the synagogue, for a start. But then Jesus is there, and he tells this demon, shut up and come out. And this demon does exactly what he is told. They had never seen anything like this ever happen before. They had no categories or analogies or things to draw from. They were on new ground as to the way demons responded to somebody else. Philip Ryken explains it this way in his commentary, I think wonderfully. He says, in those days, people who wanted to gain power over the darkness 
would resort to all kinds of magic spells, religious incantations, bizarre rituals, and other desperate forms of hocus-pocus. But Jesus had true spiritual authority. For all he had to do was say the word, and out the demon came. How true that is. If you knew somebody was possessed by a demon, you would call in the rabbis. They would come in. They might do smelling stuff. They might sprinkle with water, standing at the door, hoping it would be all right. And it never really seemed to work. Jesus just says, shut up, come out. And in a moment, it does it. There's no hocus pocus. There's no theater. Just stop it, come out. In the name of Jesus, that's exactly what they are doing. The crowd are amazed. The people in the congregation are staggered. Who is this? That even the demons obey his voice. And in verse 37, it says, And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Oh, I am not surprised that they did. As this service concludes, there is no coffee. They're not interested in coffee. If they are, they're doing decaf this morning because they are amazed at what has just taken place. They are going home and they are telling all their friends. There are texts going out everywhere. You will never see, you will never imagine what I just saw. They're staggered about what is taking place. They just saw Jesus teach with absolute authority that a demon manifests himself. He rebukes it in a moment and the demon responds. They're, they're really affected in this moment. And as a result, they're telling everybody they can, and particularly in Capernaum, everybody, like a wild grass fire, is hearing about what has just taken place. And then the scene changes. At this point in the story, there is a change of setting. We now leave the synagogue, a public context, a religious context, and we make our way instead to a house, a private context. Indeed, the family house and home of Simon. Now, for those of you that have been Christians a while, you will know that Simon is also known as Simon Peter. He later on gets known as Peter. When he becomes a disciple of Jesus, he, he changes his name, actually. Jesus changes his name to Peter. But right now, this is Simon. This is prior to Jesus actually calling him as his disciple. As far as we know, this may be his first encounter with Simon. But it will appear that Simon, as a wonderful, friendly man, has invited Jesus, the preacher for the morning, over to his house for lunch. As we make our way now with Jesus and Simon over to Simon's house. And as we do, the scene is set for the third part of the puzzle when Jesus reveals his authority over sickness. We've seen it over the word. We've seen it over demons. Now we see it over sickness. See, I'm not sure whether it was when they arrived at the house or when they were on their way to the house. But at some point, it has become clear to Jesus that Simon's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a high fever. This is what happens. Look at verse 38 and 39. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her. And rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. What a wonderful scene. This is one of those moments in Scripture that you don't see Jesus with crowds. You don't see him with the masses. You see his compassion and personal and powerful care 
towards the one, towards each individual. He's not bothered about just the masses. He's bothered about people, one by one, taking care for them. And so right here, placarded before our eyes, we see just how compassionate and personal and powerful Jesus really is. We see then his compassion first off because he hears she's ill and he goes to her. He could have just said, hey, listen, I'm a bit tired. For any of you guys that have ever preached before, you find out, I don't know why, but as soon as you finish, you're like you're emotionally and physically just exhausted. Jesus could have gone, oh, I might have a little nap and then I'll go see her. He doesn't. Okay, where is she? I want to help her. He goes and he finds her in the house. One of the things that's just a, a quirky thing, but I enjoy, Luke tells us that she has a high fever. All the other gospels say that she just has a fever. Luke is a doctor. He really knows what he's talking about. Luke has done his instructions. He's found out, oh, that wasn't just a fever. That was a high fever. He's trying to help us see. Listen, she was, she was really sick. Just going upstairs to clean her teeth would have been like climbing like Mount Everest at this point. She was very ill. But Jesus, full of compassion, he goes and finds her. And then he's personal. The other Gospels tell us that at this point, Jesus took her by a hand. He just wants to know, I'm there for you. I'm there to help you. And then he's powerful. He rebukes the sickness and immediately the fever leaves her. Again, immediately. In a moment, boom. She's sick, high fever. In a moment, temperature comes down. She's well. And she immediately responds by getting up from her sick bed and is like, sweet, let me serve you. It's such a picture of the Christian faith. She's encountered Jesus. Jesus has changed her life. And all she wants to do then is, let me serve you. Let me worship you. She's so amazed. She has been healed of her sickness in this moment. She cannot help herself. She wants to serve him. And it would appear that that's what she does. She makes them lunch, and one can only imagine what the lunchtime conversation was like. She is coming in and out. She was ill this morning, wrapped up in blankets somewhere around the house, unable to attend church. Now she's up and down, serving them lunch. Simon's got a few questions. It says in the other Gospels, other people were around at this time as well. Other people were in the room. You can imagine how glorious this conversation must have been. I mean, Jesus... How did you do that? How did you heal Simon's mother-in-law? And we've heard you've been doing this everywhere. What's up with that? How are you doing these things? And Jesus, you taught with such authority. It's so different to what we've ever heard before from a scribe. Tell us more. Where were you trained? Where has this come from? And Jesus, when that demon manifested itself, were you like scared or anything? Because you didn't seem to be. You just rebuked it and it went. Jesus, tell us, tell us. You can only imagine what that conversation would have been like over lunch. I don't think they were discussing state of origin at this point of time. I think they were talking about what in the world was that. Tell us everything. They are making lunch at this point for God. And God is with them, talking to them in the flesh. Imagine how dramatic that must have been. Well, it would appear, as the text continues, that that wasn't the only place of dramatic conversation. It would appear that around the lunch tables of all those in Capernaum, everybody is talking about what happened in the synagogue this morning. 
He spoke with such authority. He rebuked that demon. It would also seem likely that some people have been peering in through the windows in Simon's house and seeing, whoa, whoa, the mother-in-law's up. She's up. She's been healed. It would appear intel has got out potentially about what is taking place. So we have authority over demons, authority over teaching, authority over sickness. So what happens? Well, what you would expect. Look with me at verse 38. Sorry, look with me at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. I am not surprised. They have heard so much about Jesus in the, by this point. They've just seen him in the morning. He is clearly the real deal. So as the sun was setting later in the day, everybody starts bringing their sick out on their beds. Anybody that's got any relatives, friends that are sick, we're taking them to Simon's house because that's where he is. Come six o'clock. Jesus is probably exhausted by now. Simon goes to the door, opens up the door. Uh, Jesus, you, yeah, you might want to come and have a look because there's a, a few, quite a few that want to see you. And Jesus comes to the door and wonderfully, this is what he does, verse 40 again. And he laid his hands on every one of them. And healed them. That's one of the most beautiful scenes, I think, anywhere in the Bible. Dr. Luke wants to help us see Jesus wasn't in a rush. It wasn't like a sort of arms in the air, I will heal you all at the same time, like a shotgun. No. Hey, I'll just take you one at a time. And then he lays his hands on them and he heals them all. Hey, I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you. Let me pray for you. Every single one of them in that town goes away healed. It's such an intimate and special and amazing moment. Kent Hughes says this of what the scene may have been like. He says, surely extra candles were lit. And in the flickering light, Jesus healed every one of them. This was a wholesale healing, purposely indiscriminate. At other times, Jesus would heal some and not others. But on this unique occasion, all who came to him were made whole. For this was an unrestrained display of raw kingdom power. I love that. This was an unrestrained display of raw kingdom power. And so it was. It was indiscriminate. Throughout this entire day, his Power had been on display indiscriminately and widely. And this evening, as all these individuals come to him, it is a display of indiscriminate raw kingdom power. I'm going to heal every single one of them. What an unforgettable day this must have been. Because this was a day when all present here would have beheld the authority of Jesus Christ. Throughout the entire day, they have seen the authority of Jesus Christ on full display. Authority over the word, authority over demons, authority over sickness. Is there anything this man cannot do? Their lives, quite simply, would never have been the same again. 
They would have talked about this for weeks and months and decades. This is the type of thing you stay up late in the night as grandparents telling your grandkids. Let me tell you about the day when Jesus came to our synagogue. This is the type of thing you would have been talking about for decades and decades to come. Their lives would have been affected to the very core of who they really are because they encountered Jesus and it would have changed their life. And this is here, I believe, because this is a day where God wants it to affect our lives as well. That's why it's been inscribed in Holy Scripture. It's why it's written here, ultimately, by the Lord himself, because he wants you to see this is Jesus and this is him. And it does indeed have applications for every one of us in the room and every one of us at home today. This applies to us all. And so that brings me to my second point, the day applied. How do we apply things like this to our lives? What difference does it make? How are we meant to respond to seeing a day like this where the authority of Jesus is on such clear and wonderful display before us? Well, three things, I think, that I hear by way of responses that I think are called for by this text. Number one, how do we respond? Well, number one, I believe we respond with faith in Jesus. This is here so that we may be certain, certain about the things that we have been taught. And if you're around Christians for two minutes, what you realize is Christians really believe that Jesus was the son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. This is here as proof. Look at him. Authority over the word. Authority over demons. Authority over sickness. And it's there to prove all the time Jesus really is who he said he is. And so we desperately need him as our savior. See, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Every man. Black and white. Slave or free. Jew and Gentile. It makes no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. We're all designed to be with the Lord in intimacy and relationship. But we've all fallen short of that because we've rejected him. And because of that, we're cut off from him. In our sin and his holiness, those two things don't get along. We're an object of his wrath and we can't just spend time with him. Which is why our world is so messed up. Because we rejected the king and stuck with the kingdom. And yet we broke the kingdom as we did it. We so need to be back with God in relationship with God. He's the true source of our joy and our peace and our identity. And yet while we were still sinners, we fell short of the glory of the Lord. And we were cut off from him. But in Romans 5, we read this. But while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? That is the Christ that we are viewing right here in Luke chapter 4. He is on his way even now to Calvary. He is on his way to give his life away as a ransom for many. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died claiming all the time that I'm here giving my life away as a ransom for many. I'm here to die in your place as your substitute. Believe in me. 
and you will have life in my name. Jesus came and he claimed throughout that the kingdom of God is ushering in something new, a way for you to be forgiven of your sin, to be adopted into the family of God, to know that heaven is your home, to know that he is walking with you day in and day out of your lives. Christ came and he died, even when we were still sinners. And then in Romans 10, for all those who want to embrace that and enjoy that salvation that he brings, it says, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the way of salvation. We don't get saved by doing tons for charity or being a really nice person. No, we get saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Recognizing that I am a sinner, that in and of myself I'm cut off from God, but I have a glorious Savior and his name is Jesus. When we put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, it's then that we can be forgiven, we can be redeemed, we can know that heaven is our home. My friends, the first appropriate response, I believe, to this text is to put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you're listening online this morning, I want to encourage you to do that today. There's not a day to waste. I wouldn't want a day of my life without Jesus. Put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior and know the true and complete salvation that he brings. One clear way then we can respond to this text is by putting our faith in Jesus. But that's not all. Number two, we can also respond with confidence towards Jesus. My friends, as we're about to endure another time of lockdown, I think this is a particularly pertinent point. We can have confidence in Jesus. See, John chapter 14, for me personally, is I think one of the most tender and poignant scriptures anywhere in the Bible. I love it. You see, in John chapter 12 and 13, to give you background, Jesus is spending time with his disciples and he's telling them again, guys, I'm going to be going soon. They've been with him likely three years by now. They spent tons of time with Jesus. They've been with him likely every day. And then he's telling them, guys, I'm going to be leaving soon. Soon, I'm going to be giving my life away. Soon I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed. And Each and every time, they're like, Jesus, you won't be, you won't be, just stop it. And he tells them, I'm going to be going. And as the penny starts to drop for them, what starts to happen is they feel anxiety. Their hearts are troubled, Jesus says. Which is why he starts the section with, let not your hearts be troubled. Because he knows your hearts are really troubled. And their hearts are troubled. They're disciples. They're people just like me and you. Their hearts are troubled because they're well, listen, you are the one that has authority over demons, authority over sickness. While we're with you, everything's sweet. But if you leave us, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, they know the scriptures well. Sure sparks fly upward, Job tells us. Sure sparks fly upward, troubles fall. Jesus himself has told them by now, man is born to trouble. Well, that doesn't sound too encouraging. Jesus, if you go and you leave us, how are we going to manage? How are we going to do anything? How are we going to battle through sicknesses in our lives? How are we going to cope with difficult situations? How are we going to go if we come across people that are being possessed or oppressed by demons? How are we going to manage? What am I going to do? How are we going to cope? 
They are literally overwhelmed and troubled. We can all face that in our lives at different times. And in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18, this is what Jesus says to them. It's so comforting. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen. For I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My friends, that's one of the most special times. Those disciples are starting to be troubled, thinking, well, you're going to come, you're going to go, you're going to leave us. And in effect, he says, yep, I'm going to leave you very temporarily. But I'm going to send you another helper, literally one just like me. Effectively, Jesus is saying, I'm going, but in effect, I'm going to be coming back. And through this Holy Spirit, I'm not just going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. My friends, what a comforting word. This is Jesus, the one who has authority over the word. This is Jesus who has authority over demons that can rebuke them. Be quiet and it's gone. This is Jesus who can look at six people and pray for them. And in a moment, they're healed. This is Jesus full of authority and power. And in this moment, looking at our lives, he says, listen, do not fear. I will not only be with you, I'll be in you. I'll make my home right in you. My friends, whatever happens during lockdown, here's something we can know as Christians. Without doubt, we will never, ever for a second be alone. Because Jesus, in all authority, will be with you and in you. It's amazing. Whatever happens then, my friends, I want to encourage you. We need not fear. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He knows in and of myself, I got nothing. I'm just a guy. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The one who resides in me through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is that same Holy Spirit that resides in our heart. Jesus, with all authority, is in you and he's in me. So I want to encourage you, my friends. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Whatever comes your way, not just in the lockdown, but in life. We need not fear. Because through the Holy Spirit, he is guaranteed that he will not leave us as orphans. He will come to you. And now he does indeed reside in us. What a happy discovery that is, don't you think? The way we respond then to this text is with faith in Jesus, with confidence towards Jesus, and then finally, just in closing, with mission alongside Jesus. Look at verse 42 and 43. We're now looking at the next morning in Jesus' life. It has been a long day, the day before. Then we read this. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. 
You know, it's an incredible scene. Just a few days before, a week before, he's in Nazareth. They are trying to throw him off the cliff. They hate him. He's in Capernaum. Don't go. (laughs) They want to keep him. Please stay. If you're with us, we'll never be demonically oppressed. We'll never get sick. We'll have the best pastor the world could offer. Just stay here with us. It's the entire antithesis of Capernaum, of Nazareth, sorry. But as he looks them in their eyes, they wake up in the morning and they're looking around for him in terms of Jesus. Where is he? We want to spend more time with him. They find him and they see that he has an expression on his face that looks like he's leaving. And when they inquire of him about this, he affirms that yes, he is. For he can't stay. And he can't stay. Why? He can't stay because he has been sent to preach the good news of the kingdom to others as well. He has been sent by God to preach the good news. So yes, it is a joy to preach to them in their synagogue. Yes, it is a joy to heal them. Yes, it is a joy to rebuke demons from them. But I have been sent to the world to tell them about the kingdom of God. There's a priority in this mission. And his priority is to tell people about the kingdom of God. For that, he has been sent. And my friends, what I want us to realize this morning again today as Christians is Jesus was not the only one to be sent. You and I have been sent as well to do exactly the same thing. See, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus, after he resurrected, gathered his disciples around him and he said this. He said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them, an expression of the Holy Spirit, filling them and empowering them for what they need to do outside of those walls. They're standing there in that moment as his disciples, just through representation. They're representing the church to come. They're representing all those who would go on through millennia to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As the Father has sent me to preach the good news, even so I am sending you. Go. He says the same to them again in a representative way in Matthew 28. He says this to them. He says, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As he looks the disciples in the eye, as we look Jesus in his eyes this morning as his disciples wondering what we're to do with our lives, he would say, check out Matthew 28. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. All authority in heaven and earth has now been given to me. I now reside in you. So go. Go. I will be with you to the end of the age. And go and make disciples of all nations. Get into your communities. Get into your neighborhoods. Get into your school places. Get into your workplaces. Preach the good news. My friends, it's so easy to be overwhelmed and distracted from that, isn't it? But I thank God for his word because his word clarifies what our mission is, i.e. to go and make disciples of people. And it also reminds us where he is in it. For all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And through the Holy Spirit, 
He's in us. And he always will be with us. Right to the very end of the age. My friend, how we respond then to this, I believe, is with mission alongside Jesus. Brandishing the same message that he had. And opening our mouths and telling people about it. Knowing that the gospel is the power of God and to salvation for all who believe. The Holy Spirit takes that message and brings it alive. We just got to share it and tell people about it. You know, what we have before us here in Luke chapter 4 really is an incredible, unforgettable day. A day that they would be talking about for decades, no doubt. A day that has applications for them. And it's a day that has applications for us as well. Applications of faith in Jesus. Applications of confidence towards Jesus. And applications of going on mission with Jesus exactly like he did. So may that be our story. May we delight in the reality that God is in us. And may that fill us with confidence for the road ahead. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for giving us days like this to see in Scripture. Unforgettable days where you displayed your authority and power for everybody to see. Your authority over the word, your authority over demons, your authority over sickness. You are more powerful than anything else in this universe. I said, Lord, what a thrill it is to know then that you are with us and you are in us. But we are never alone. You will never leave us nor forsake us because you reside in us. So Lord, would we make our way forward during this season with faith and with confidence that the one of all authority is in us. You are the hope of the world. May we live in the light of it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.